in that Bible of yours, open up to two places. Uh, go to Hebrews chapter 6 and, and hold your spot there. And then we're actually, we're, we'll turn our attention to the screens. We'll read this from the screens in John chapter 14, starting verses 1 through 3 and verse 18. I want us to read out loud uh, the word together and fill this place with God's word. Can we read it from the screens? Here we go. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples before he's about to be crucified and buried. And and then they're going to have to wait for a few days. And then three days later, he's raised from the dead. And and they get to spend some time with him. But it's only temporary, those next 40 days. And, uh, And then he ascends to heaven. And he's talking to him and he says, listen. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going somewhere, but I'll be back. I'll be back. And I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I was reading a little bit this week, and I read this article because uh, some people feel like they're all alone on their own. And um, the article said this, our time has been called the age of loneliness. It's estimated that one in five Americans suffers from persistent loneliness. And while we're more connected than ever before, social media may actually be exacerbating the problem. We have this false sense of connection but yet we feel deeply lonely. Now, you would think, well, that, that's true for those people who don't know God. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people who know God, but they feel the same thing. They feel the same thing. We can feel like we're so connected. We have so many, you know, likes on our Facebook and followers on our, you know, Twitter face or whatever the thing is called and Insta, Insta face or and whatever it is. You, you can have so many, you know, of those connections, but who, who can I call on when life has fallen apart? And I see people sometimes Facebook it when life has fallen apart. That's not going to help you. Who can you call on when you don't know what to do? When, when, when you just got bad news, so many people feel like, I don't have anyone that I can talk to. When people are faced with major decisions, they don't have anyone close enough that they trust to bounce it off of. When everyone's turned against you, who's that person who's going to stand by your side, even if what they say about you is true? We lack that sense of connection, and we feel like we're all alone sometimes and lonely. And the effects of that can be devastating. The effects of loneliness and, and, and the fear alone. I've read this too about the, the, the side effects. The fear of loneliness, or the, the effects of loneliness and the fear of being alone can lead to anxiety, panic attacks, phobias, depression, suicide. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and acute and chronic illness. Because deep on the inside, something's missing and we feel all alone. Some people feel alone 
because they've been rejected. They've had relationships that didn't work out. They've been kind of abandoned or cast to the side. And so as a result of that, they carry that with them. Others kind of feel like they're all alone because it's part of their survival mechanism. They had to make it on their own for so long in order to survive that they feel like, I could do this by myself. I'm a self-made man. I did it my way. You know, I'm a self-made woman. I don't need anybody else. And so though they may not feel a loneliness, they still sense that they're alone. But God wants to talk to us today and let us know you're not alone. And because you have a covenant with God, you have an advantage that other people don't have. It doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you might, they might have. It doesn't ever solve that for them. You can feel, you know, like you're, you're, you're like, a, like a ship adrift in the sea, no direction, all by yourself. And God is saying that's, that's not true about you, though. You have an advantage because of the covenant that God has made with you. And he wants to talk to us about that from Hebrews chapter 6. Is it okay if I read a good chunk of scripture this morning? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it up into, you know, because it's easier to chew when it's in smaller pieces. So I'll give you some, but we'll, we'll work our way through it because I believe that the Lord has something that uh, he wants to get from, from here and, and through here and out of here back into to here, right? Into here. He wants to convince us of some things today. Because we need to be convinced. In Hebrews chapter 6, it's telling a story about God talking to Abraham. And he made promises to him that were were really too good to be true in the natural. They really were. I mean, God talked to a really, really... um, guy, old guy who's past his, you know, he and his wife are past childbearing age, uh, it would seem. And yet God said, you're going to be the father of many nations and, and all kinds of descendants are going to come from you. And, and, and they're going to outnumber the, the, the sand on the seashore. And, you know, you ever been on a ship sometime, uh, maybe a cruise and you get out so far that you can't see anything around you except for water. And you feel like, man, I'm alone. And God's made these promises. I can't, about as many as the sand on the seashore, I can't even see the beach. I'm so far off. And, and Abraham felt like that right there. And, and, and God said, I'm making, I've made promises to you, though. And I'm a promise keeper. But as good as that would be for God to say it once, he didn't. And so in chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, he, he swore something. Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And, and uh, everybody say swear. swear. Okay, so you're all swearing in church. So we got that out of the way. He swore by himself saying, surely, he's emphasizing, he, 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 surely, blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after Abraham had patiently endured, everyone say after. After After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. It took a while. A long time. But here we are, several thousand years later, we're still talking about Abraham getting the promise, right? For men indeed swear by the greater... And an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Back up to verse 13. God, God promised something, but then he went beyond that and he said, I swear it. It's sort of like in conversation, someone tells you, hey, I'm going to come pick you up. And what do you say? You promise? Yeah, I promise. Swear. 
All right, I swear. Swear on your mother's grave, you know. <laughs> oh, mom's grave, you know. All right, I swear on my mother's grave. Or some people would say, like, you know, you go to court, I swear to tell the truth uh, on the Bible because the, the, there's this belief or there used to be in our nation that, that this held some weight to it. And when you put your hand on it, you, it means something. Or some people would even say, and I don't recommend this either, but I, 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 they would say, I swear to God. I swear to God that this is true. And, and God is doing the same thing. And, and the reason why you would swear to somebody, you know, is because uh, someone higher than you, of greater credibility than you, the reason why people swear in that case is because we're saying, that person will back me up. I swear, ask God, right? Ask my mama, you know, ask this person. You, you, you believe they'll back you up. And uh, that they have credibility. But you're also are saying that there's an accountability to this. So like if I'm lying, you know, let God strike me dead, right? It's like that, that's the kind of thing when, you, when you're swearing. God gets into a position in conversation where although it's not needed for him to do that, he does that anyways. I mean, when God said, let there be light, he didn't say, I swear let there be light. Like, no, seriously. God, God didn't need to, to say it a second time. In fact, you know what? God didn't even need the sun to create light. The Bible kind of indicates that God said, let there be light before there was a sun. He doesn't need all this other stuff. If he says it, it's as good as done. But yet he's talking to people who have a hard time to really grabbing hold of that. And so he, he swears and he says, there's no one greater to swear by who can back me up higher than myself. No one more faithful or reliable. No one who, you, you know, who, who could step in here to confirm it beyond me. So he swore by himself. And this is what he said, Abraham, I told you this before, but I swear I will bless you. And I swear I will multiply you. Abraham, I promise, I swear to you that I am for you and on your side and that I'll keep my word and that I'll do the things that I said I'll do. Abraham, I swear I'll do it. I swear that you can trust me. And though it may seem like those promises are far off, I swear they'll come to pass in your life. I swear I'll make it happen. He's trying to convince Abraham that he can be trusted and taken at his word. And in fact, in verse 16, uh, uh, verse 16, it says, for men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. For them, an end of all dispute. An oath of confirmation is an end of all dispute. There's something that God did while he was swearing that's not mentioned in this passage, but it, but it is included back in earlier in Genesis. And it's when God made the promise and then he swore, he also made a covenant when he made that oath. And you'll learn more about this in that on our God Swears to Keep His Promises series that you'll go through on your own. You know, if you're here on Sundays, I'm not going to teach you everything that's in there. You're not going to get everything from Sundays uh, from that as well. They go together. You'll get the most if you get both and tell somebody next to you, you need it all, right? But see, God made these promises. God made these promises. And, and the oath is for men a... Um, it's an end of all dispute. That means this. You might say something, but if I know your background, and I know you got shifty eyes, and I know that you told, you know, 
Jack over there, that, that you're going to do something, but you didn't exactly come through, and, and you haven't always kept your promises. And all of a sudden, you're telling me that you're going to do this? Well, that's one thing, but I think you might back out. But if, if you really, you know, if you're really wanting to convince me that you're going to do it, and I want to convince you that I'll keep my side of the bargain, you take an oath and you make a covenant. And so the audience here would definitely understand this, that what would happen is they would take an animal, they'd cut it in half, and then they would both stand in its blood. And this is why it was an end of all dispute, because the understanding was when both parties or representations or tribes or families or whatever were standing in the blood, they are then making promises. They're speaking the words of the covenant of the agreement. They're making this oath, but they're doing it while they're standing in blood. And the implication is if I break any words of these promises or these, this oath that I'm making with you today, what happened to this animal will happen to me. And that's why once somebody steps into the blood there, then everybody says, all right, there's no question that that person is committed to what they said. Because if they back out, what happened there is going to happen to them. And so that's why it's an end of all disputes. There's that practice similar to, to cutting a, a, of covenant, it, sort of like with uh, maybe some, some Native American tribes would cut their hands on each side, you know, one tribe and another, and they'd come and they'd slap hands together and their blood would be mingled and say, we're br- blood brothers. We're committed by blood. We're, uh, everything I have, every agreement, everything I provide and protect and so forth that belongs to you and vice versa. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we, we sh- shake hands and we shake on it today and that because it's part of that uh part of that tradition that would come from that right there and the bible's saying for men that's the end of dispute now what's really interesting about god and making this covenant and, and how he did it versus how man would do it when men do it both parties come in there and maybe if man makes a covenant with god he would he would sacrifice something and sprinkle the blood on him before god but when god made a covenant with man uh he did this. He said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, you're getting sleepy, sleepy, sleep. And Abraham falls asleep and he pushes him to the side. And then God goes and gets the animal and then he cuts it in half. And the Bible says that while that animal was slain, through the midst of it was going like this, this pillar of smoke in the midst of it. When God was standing in the blood, man wasn't there. This is important because God knows man. And God knows that this promises and everything, these promises and everything associated with them are too precious to put into the hands of man who could still fail. And so this covenant is completely one-sided. God didn't bring man into it and put him in the midst of it and say, hey, you keep your end and then I'll keep my end like this at all. God said, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to provide it all. I'm, I'm going to, to save. I, I'm going to keep my word. And you may, you may back off. You might become unfaithful. You might miss out. But I will never break my promise to you. And this isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on me. God, whom it's impossible for to lie, swore an oath. And if we wrapped up and went home right now, that would be good enough for today. Because God wants to convince you that the things that he said, he stood in the blood. And, 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 and it's not just to Abraham, by the way, and at that time. But what do you think Jesus was doing on the cross when God said, 
I'm putting an end to any dispute right here. Have you questioned my love for you? Have you questioned my commitment? Have you questioned my plan for you? Have you questioned the the back of the book? Have you questioned my purposes? Have you questioned my calling? Are you questioning my mercy? Are you questioning my grace? Are you questioning my forgiveness? Are you questioning my love in any way? This is an end to all dispute. Don't question it anymore. This is it. Right there on the cross. He made that covenant. He he had sworn. He's keeping the terms of the agreement. He's wanting to convince us today. When God swears. He means it. Verse 17 says. Thus God determining to show more abundantly. You know, it's it's one thing for men to jump into the the blood together, (laughs) you know, jump into that. And I know it's a graphic picture. It's one thing for them to do it, but God said, even more so, I'm going to send my son. It's not an animal. It's me. I'm going to step into that myself. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Oh, I thought he was talking to Abraham. <coughs> Wait a minute. He's not talking to Abraham anymore. He's talking to the heirs of promise. You know the Bible says that you're heirs of the promise? Yes. That you are children of Abraham? Yes. The promises that God made to Abraham are not limited to Abraham and the children of Israel over there somewhere, but that all of those who are of faith in Christ Jesus are, are heirs to the promise. And the promises that God made concerning you He is just as committed to keep. When God says, I will forgive you. I will restore you. I will heal you. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will promote you. I will go after your kids. I'll go after your spouse. I will hedge up their way to keep them close. God says so many things in his word that are sounding too good to be true. But God says, I swear I'll do it. I'll swear, I swear I'll do it. It wasn't just simply going to the cross. It's what did going to the cross do? It confirmed what he said. And that's so important for us to remember this morning because we're faced with everything opposite of what God has said. And that causes us to back down and back away from trusting and to kind of at times even drift off course. Look at this. It says God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. The immutability of his counsel. That's a big word, but the immutability means the unchanging resolve that God has. Immutable. He's not going to change. He's resolved to do it. He's determined that you know that. God wants you to know more than anything else that he has not changed his mind towards you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to back down. You can trust in him. Man, if he's telling you to do some stuff that that get right, get in alignment, do it. Because what you will miss out on is too great. He says this, uh, in which it's impossible for God to lie that we might have strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. To lay hold. Put your hands out. You got to lay hold of that hope. You see, there's hope that God has provided, but, but still we, we, we want to lay hold of that hope. 
We don't want it to be out there. We don't want it to be just in here. We want to get it right here. And so God is saying, you got to lay hold of that hope and don't let go of that hope. Don't back off from the hope that is set before us. He goes on to say this in verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Everybody say anchor. We have it as an anchor of the soul, and it's both sure and steadfast. Now, interesting thing about anchors, as I was reading up on this, I thought the anchor of the soul, I mean, that sounds like really good to have an anchor for our soul, especially in a world where, you know, there's so many storms and it's easy to get tossed to and fro, right, in life. And, uh, you know, the anchor was, was the primary Christian symbol up until about 300 AD. So they weren't going around with crosses like on their necklace. They would have anchors. They would, they would paint little anchors around, you know, at houses so that people would know believers meet here. Believer, believers come here. And so it's kind of their secret way of communicating something because they would, they would remember this anchor when they're seeing their friends get arrested and hauled off, hauled off to jail and thrown into, you know, thrown into prison or, or, or executed for their faith. They would realize that although there's storms in life, I've got, I'm anchored down deep. And so that, that went on. That was very common until about 300 AD. And, uh, the anchor, here, here's something really insightful for those of you, because most of us don't think of anchors often unless you're on a boat. Here, here's something that's going to blow your mind, okay? An anchor is weighty and solid, used to connect a boat or a ship to the bed of a body of water for the purpose of preventing the vessel from drifting due to wind or current. Did that blow your mind? No, it didn't. <laughs> I know it didn't. You're like, yeah, yeah. But I know, that's what an anchor does. It holds the ship in place, right? It holds the boat in place. But God is making a point to say, we have a hope that acts as an anchor for the soul. And, and that hope that we have, it's weighty. It's solid, right? And, and um, it reflects that which is able to provide stability in our life and confidence and certainty, and I bet you there's some situations in your life where that's been challenged lately. Or you might even be at a place where, man, it's smooth sailing right now. But there's storms up ahead because that's the nature of life. And, and God is telling us ahead of time, right now you have an anchor for your soul. And that's going to keep you from drifting because our culture is changing. What's going on in this world, it's kind of tumultuous. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. September 10th, 2001, people went to work as normal. They got on planes as normal. You could walk in and, and greet people coming off the planes. You could run onto the plane and get back off real quick because you forgot to hand somebody something. But all of a sudden, September 11th comes around, and what nobody was expecting happened, and it turned our world as we know it upside down. It changed the way we operate and we live and how we think and what we see on the news and, and our, our sense of safety when we're in public uh, you know, situations and how we fly and travel and, and, and how we perceive a people group. All like that. You wake up in the morning and you see this stuff happening. The world we live in is uncertain, but there is certainty. It's sure and steadfast. And we, that's where we anchor ourselves into something that is sure and steadfast. What is, what, is, what is certain in this life as we know it? Two things, right? They say 
Death and taxes, right? Death and taxes. And I guarantee you that uh, even if death, they solved that, there'd still be taxes, right? <laughs> so everything else is shifting around us and shifty and unreliable. Even the people you relied on all your life, all of a sudden you find out they're human, and they're not exactly 100% reliable. The, the business that you thought was too big to ever go away, I'm going to place so much of my uh, retirement in there. Next thing you know, some new administration comes in. They change some rules. That business starts to go belly up or the government or whatever else. That starts to go belly up. And, and what you thought was sure no longer is. It's no longer sure. And that's why the scripture doesn't stop there and just say, be anchored somewhere. But look what it goes on to say in verse, verse 19. It says, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enter, and which enters the presence behind the veil. When he's talking about the veil, he's referring to the tabernacle. The tabernacle or temple that was built by Moses initially, and it was based on the pattern that he saw before God. So he went up before the Lord and he saw this picture or this image of it, or maybe he saw it, maybe, you know, whatever this vision. But God said, I want you to build something on earth, just like what's happening up here in heaven. And all these elements of it, I want you to, to build that as well. So I got some pictures. Actually, in southern Israel, there is a, uh, there's a group who built a replica of what the tabernacle would look like. And so you can see, see this here, the outer, the outer courts there, the tent in the very middle of it. Uh, you see the, the altar of sacrifice and the, with the horns coming off the side. And then there's the, I, I'm pointing that way, but it's the same screen we're looking at. You can see the little wash basin there for them to wash their hands before they go in. And then the first veil takes you into the holy place. In the holy place, there's the bread. Uh, and then you have the, the little candelabra there for the light that, that's always burning before the Lord. And then you have another veil right there. And behind that veil is where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And that was the very meeting place between God and his people. The tangible presence of God was experienced there. And it was, it, it was so powerful that God said to Moses, don't, uh, don't let the high priest come up just anytime. He can only come up once a year. And when he does, he needs to come with a sacrifice for him and for the people. And nobody was to be messing around with this. It was a precious place. And, and, and it was where God himself dwelt with men. And the Bible is saying we have this anchor of the soul that is sure, it's true, and it's steadfast. It's immovable. And it enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner, everybody say forerunner, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so let's get back to this idea of the anchor for just a moment. Um, you see these big ships sometimes, and you're like these big cargo ships that have all these containers on them, or oil rigs. I mean, those things weigh hundreds of thousands of tons. They're gigantic. And, and they've got to get these ships, you know, through rough waters to port up to a dock to where they can be loaded and unloaded. And uh, sometimes it's a very, you know, difficult situation to get them to where they're going. Uh, 
Sometimes where they're going, it's not yet ready for them. And to anchor those big ships, uh, uh, typically they would have anchors, but sometimes there's places where they can't anchor. You know, you think about how big that ship is, and if it's fully loaded and you drop the anchor, which are huge, and the chains are, are thicker than, you know, than me on just one half of the link, and uh, that's getting thicker and thicker over the years. And so you drop that down, and if the wind and the waves and the current moves that ship, it can pull that right out, right out of the, the bottom of the ocean there, you know, and it causes it to drift along. And if there's other ships, it could be dangerous. Enter, you know, some of you guys are thinking, well, oh no, what do they do? What do they do? I'm glad you asked about that. They have something called an anchor handling tug supply. I got a picture of it. That right there is not a roller coaster running alongside of it. That, that's just what one of these ships look like. And this is a pretty big boat or ship in and of itself here. Um, an anchor handling tug supply vessels, they're mainly built to handle the anchors for oil rigs, to tow them to location, to anchor them up, and in a few cases, serve as an emergency response rescue vessel. They're also used to transport supplies to and from the, these ships. And so... Here you have this giant ship that's going somewhere, but it can't quite get there yet. And so if it does try to anchor, it may not stay where it's trying to anchor at. And so it's important that it stays the course. Well, they send out these anchor supply ships that come and they attach themselves to the big ship. And the smaller ship, though it's smaller, you think, well, how's that going to help? Somehow it has the ability to get that big ship anchored down steady and stable and also to direct it and pull it right to the place that it needs to go. Now, also, as well as this, sometimes when those big ships are out there and uh, they're about to capsize or, you know, somehow their load is off, they'll send this, this ship out there to stabilize it. Sometimes uh, they'll be used as a rest on a rescue mission. Sometimes it's used just to bring food and other supplies to the ship while it's waiting to get to port. And then when it does hook itself up to that big ship, it'll help it navigate its way to get into port and right up to that dock. So whatever burdens it's carrying can be unloaded and whatever it needs to be refreshed, it'll, it, 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 it can get every, all the supplies it needs for its journey. Now, we're talking about an anchor. We're talking about a ship. We're talking about a forerunner, and that's exactly what this ship is right here. This anchor supply ship is a forerunner for these other ships. And when Jesus said back in John chapter 14, hey, I'm going ahead of you to prepare for you, when he said, I'm going ahead of us to prepare for us, he didn't detach and leave us on our own as orphans. You know, an anchor is no good if you throw it off, but it's not connected to the boat. If you just have an anchor, but there's no rope connecting the anchor to the boat, oh man, that's great, there it goes. But I'm no more stable or no more helped out than I was before. And for some people, Jesus is like an anchor, but you're not connected. And that's why you need to lay hold of the hope that is set before you there. Lay hold of the promises of God that he's made for you because the anchor is there. The anchor supply vessel is there. And listen, he's that anchor supply vessel to us. Right now, he's standing in the very presence of almighty God, providing stability in the midst of rough waters, keeping us from drifting off course, rescuing as needed, 
continuously supplying our needs and pulling us onward while ensuring that we get to our final destination. This is Jesus, the forerunner, who has gone beyond the veil. Because where on earth can you anchor yourself and find stability? You're not going to do it. I don't care how many self-help books you read. I don't care how many seminars you take. All the positive stuff, that's good, that's helpful. But I'm telling you, we set our anchor beyond the veil. And it's not down below, it's up above. And when you're attached to that, I mean, Jesus, when he's sitting there telling his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He didn't detach and leave and say, okay, don't worry, I'll come back. But he said, no, 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 just, just stay connected. Just stay connected. And when you're connected, everything that, that, that there is for supply that's needed on earth, just as it is in heaven, he supplies that. You see, it's at that point when, when, when heaven and earth meet and the will of God as in heaven can be done on earth when you stay connected to him. When you stay connected. And this is what God is saying to us when Jesus is up on the cross. He's determining to make known his commitment to you. He's determining to make known to you that what I said, I will do. And I know there's times in your life where that is called into question. And, and it does not look like it's going to happen. And it looks like all these things that, that we feared, as Job said, that which I feared most has come upon me. And you're facing situations and you don't know how it's going to turn around. And just when you think it's supposed to get better, it looks like someone kicked you while you're down. And you start looking and thinking, God, if your word is true, why is this happening? God, will you really do what you said? God, did you really mean it? I know I read it in the Bible and I know I heard somebody else's story. But what about for me? What about for my family? What about in my situation? And we walk through this and you're out there in the sea and you're getting buffeted by the waves and, and the wind and the current's trying to pull you and everyone's trying to tell you just to do it on your own or you have no hope. You're going to go overboard. And then all of a sudden you see this little light starting to shine brighter and brighter and you hear something tugging along. And all of a sudden you see Jesus come right up. He says, grab hold. He'll keep you safe. He'll fulfill his word. You see him out there and he said, I am determined, I am determined to keep my word. Don't back down from it. Don't give up on it. Don't let your circumstances tell you different. He has ended the dispute once for all. Don't even argue it anymore. There's There's no reason. Just be convinced and settle it there and then just be looking to God to do it. God, 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 you've already accomplished this. God, you've already done this. And that's what he's wanting to convince us of today. And it doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. God has something to say to you. And when you understand that it's not just words, but it's the very God who said light be and it was. When he speaks something into your life, there's nothing that can hold it back. All you have to do is receive it by faith. Lay hold. What is he saying? What is he saying? Oh, God, you need me to turn my ship this way a little bit? All right. Oh, get out of I'm in the wrong, wrong ocean. All right. I'm in the wrong boat. All right. Jesus, when he was on the cross, or before he went to the cross, he sat down with his disciples. And he took a cup and said, this cup's the new, new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. 
I promise by my own blood that I'll keep my word. 